And we are slowly but surely making our way through this Old Testament book. A story It is really what it is. And we've already covered the fact that Jonah was called by God to go and to preach um, a message of repentance and of compassion and grace from God on this great uh, city, one of the greatest cities of the world at the time, called Nineveh. He rejects that idea, runs the other way, runs away from God as hard as he possibly can, and God um, stops him from his running. He sends a great storm that um, basically is about to upturn the ship that he's riding on, um, and eventually the sailors that are with him on the ship figure out that he is the cause of all their problems. And so they decide that they're going to throw him into the water, into the ocean. He goes down deep. He thinks he's dying. We're going to read about that today. And then miraculously, by a great fish, God comes and swoops in and rescues him. And so that's basically where we're at. He's in the fish. Let's dive right... Well... (laughs) No pun intended with that one, sorry. Let's dive right in. Starting with verse 5 of chapter 2. This is Jonah talking. He says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet... Key point, you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the, second, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So last week we looked at this idea of Jonah in the belly of this great fish that God had caused to swallow him, and we called it grace in the belly. It was the moment where Jonah... First, well, I don't know if it was the first time in his life, but in this particular call, it was the first time he had really, truly experienced the grace of God. And it was an unbelievably powerful force in his life. You know why he had such a powerful experience of God's grace? He had time to think. (laughs) God placed him in a position where the only thing he could possibly do with his time was to reflect. There was nothing happening around him. It was darkness. 
He was in the belly of the whale. Now, I have no idea what exactly that looked like, but just take it for what it is. He had time to reflect on God's grace, and he realized in that moment that though he felt and thought he was a dead person, that he was, he was gone forever, erased from the presence of God, instead he figures out that he has been rescued, that he has been saved from death. And it's this moment of, of realization that his running was in vain, that ultimately he was the one getting in the way of God, and God had salvation planned for him all along. Unbelievably powerful. I don't know if anyone in here has ever had that type of experience of the grace of God. And if you remember from last week, we talked about the fact that the grace of God is when God brings favor to an undeserving person, even though he is unobligated to bring that favor. That's what true grace is. An undeserving person receives good things from an unobligated giver. Now, this week, I'm calling Grace on Dry Land. If you are a person who likes to follow an outline, then pull out that little insert in your bulletin. And here's how we're going to break it up down this morning. The first thing is thanksgiving. The second is sacrifice. And the third is obedience. And the way I want us to understand today is it's all focused upon Jonah's realization that salvation is of the Lord alone. And everything about today is his response to grace. How, okay, when God works in an amazing and a mighty way in your life, how do you respond to that? I mean, think for a minute about a more recent story. 1912. The Titanic. Yeah. Now, lots of people died. But many were saved. And they got in small life rafts or... They were on a plank of wood, like the movie if you've seen it. But I imagine some of them that were on these planks of wood floated for many hours, possibly days, in this cold water. And I imagine, just like Jonah, they had time to think and reflect about the fact that they had not gone down with that boat. They want, I mean, think about it for y'all. Those who were on the pieces of wood or on the lifeboats watched as people on the deck of the boat sank down below these frigid waters. That would be an absolutely heartbreaking and life-changing experience. Wouldn't you imagine? Yeah, Calvin says yes. (laughs) And they knew in that moment that they had been rescued. And they probably also knew, hopefully they knew, they didn't have a whole lot to do with it, right? Somehow, by the grace of God, they had gotten on a life raft, or gotten on a piece of wood that kept them afloat in these frigid waters. That's the first thing that happens to us with grace. We saw it last week. I can't recount the whole part of it, but ultimately grace enters first into our mind, and it just blows us out of the water. Because we know we're undeserving, that we should not have been rescued, And we know that God is unobligated. In fact, what we actually deserve is punishment. And instead, we are given goodness and righteousness and grace through Jesus Christ. But then we have a response. 
And that's what Jonah is experiencing this morning. He responds to this grace. And here's what he says. He says, first he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of, it can also be translated grace, forsake their hope of grace. But, but, I'm, woo, I've experienced grace. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Today we're going to talk about how we respond to grace. The first thing that happens when you get real grace, when the grace of God moves into your life in a powerful way, there's a thankfulness that comes along with it. Y'all, it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard to be thankful when you feel that you deserve all you have and all that you have coming. This is a great way you can do sort of a little oil test. Like, you know how in your car, when you open up your hood, you take the little dipstick and you go down into the little sensor thing? I don't know what it is. I know nothing about cars. <laughs> but I know how to check my oil. And you reach it down in there and you have your little rag on the side and you pull it back out and you check and you say, how much oil is actually in my engine? Because if there's not enough, it's going to break. And you find out that there's enough or, or not and then you fill some more in, blah, blah, blah. Thankfulness is a great oil check on your engine. Whether, if you want to know whether you're really experiencing the grace of God, look at your thankfulness. Your thankfulness for waking up in the morning, your thankfulness for breath, your thankfulness for your family, your thankfulness for your friends, for your job, whatever it might be, for simply being alive. That's what grace does. It's the first thing that happens. There is this emotion that we get of just, what? Can you see, I mean, can you imagine Jonah in the belly of this whale going, waking up and going, I'm not dead? How is this possible? He is just bowled over, and so it comes out through his mouth. He is so incredibly thankful. Lord, you have done this incredible work in my life, and I want to simply start praising you. I am effusively happy about what you have given to me. I didn't produce this. You produced it in my life. It's the first step, y'all. Thankfulness is the first step. When gratitude enters a person's life as the result of grace, the self, our selfish grip on life begins to loosen. When you feel thankful, it's very difficult to be wickedly selfish. It's just that simple. The light begins to bloom from within. And I love when people experience that, this when they go on missions trips. I don't know if you've ever been on a missions trip. You may not even know what I'm talking about. But a missions trip is this thing where you go often to a foreign country and you're going to help them. You're going to paint a school building or you're going to share about Jesus or something along those lines. And often the most profound change that happens on a mission trip is not for the people who are getting served. It's for the people who have come to serve. I went with youth 15 years ago or so to Honduras. It's a very poor country. We were in Tegucigalpa, which I think is the capital. And um, I remember vividly this experience that I had and all of the students that were with me had and all of the adults that were with us had 
um, because we did see an incredible amount of darkness. Their poverty was appalling, eye-opening. And there was this whole group of kids that would walk around with these little jars. I had no idea what in the world was going on, but there was a lot of them. And they would surround the bus when we pulled into a certain area. And the people who were leading the missions trip said they were huffers. I was like, well, what in the world is a huffer? And it's, uh, I guess they had gotten a huge supply of rubber cement. And the kids would sniff it. They would huff it. They would hold it up to their nose. And you could see them. They would just be standing there with this rubber cement up their nose. And it was awful. I mean, it was dark. And, I mean, as you can imagine, it was um, killing their brain cells by the minute. And many of them were already severely brain damaged. Sadness came over our group when we found out about this. And, I mean, we helped take care of them. We washed them and gave them haircuts and things like that. But that wasn't the only group of people we saw when we were in Honduras. We also saw people who had almost nothing, who were fantastically joyful. That was my favorite part, to watch our group and myself encounter these people who we would have assumed could not be happy given their circumstances. And yet they were way more happy and joyful than any of us in the group were. You know, we're all sweating. You know, we're like, oh, the humidity here. Oh, where's my water bottle? And, you know, you know how do, is the bus running? Because I need to get in the air conditioning. And, you know, oh, and, and just, I've cut 15 haircuts and my hands are sore. You know, and th- their kids are just running around. You know, the people are hugging us and are thankful. And it, they're just loving every moment of what's happening that day. It was a reminder to me, y'all, that if you, if you think you've earned it, if you think your hands have produced everything that you have, you will not be thankful. Grace moves into a life and grace says, salvation is of the Lord and of Him alone. You didn't do it. You aren't doing it. You can't do it. And there's this beautiful thankfulness that begins to settle in after grace has made its home in a heart. Grace changes absolutely everything about who we are. And the first change is an incredible thankfulness. Secondly, um, according to Jonah, he says, okay, with the voice of thanksgiving, so he starts just breaking out in joyful song to God while he's in the belly of this fish. The second thing he says is, it's time to sacrifice. That's going to be my next move after my thankfulness has run its course. This is true for any person's life who has truly experienced the grace of God. Thankfulness begins the process of responding to the grace of God. The next thing that happens is there is a sacrifice Thankfulness is primarily an emotion. Not completely, but just run with me. The second, so thankfulness leads into what I would call the will or the action of the person. Right? When you're effusively thankful, you just can't help but give. You just start doing it. You just start giving to the people around you. You start loving on the people around you. You start being caring for the people around you. 
Now, in the Old Testament, this often took the form of what they would actual animal sacrifices. They would bring to God, they would say, holy mackerel, I'm so thankful for what God has done for me, for my family, for my life. Woo! And they would go and they would grab their best cow or chicken or, I don't know, goat. They would bring it to the altar and they would say, I got to take some action. This thankfulness is just bubbling up inside me. And so here's my action. I give my best to God and they would sacrifice it on the altar. And it was amazing. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, God, I have an offering to give you. I have a sacrifice to give you. But it certainly goes beyond that. It was also the offering the people would give to God with their voices, the, the voice of worship. That's a, that's a sacrifice that we give to God. Even today we have that. We still have the offering that we give um, that comes around to us. It's a way for us to express to God our gratefulness. We have corporate worship, which we're doing today, a way for us again to thank God for what He's done in our life. We have service where we serve one another within the church, but it goes even beyond that. And here's what I want to kind of push home for this whole point this morning. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. Paul the Apostle. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. There it is. By God's grace. If grace has moved into your life, here's what's going to happen. I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, His good, acceptable, and perfect will. We offer our entire lives as sacrifices. But I want to, I want to focus for just a second on this word living. Jonah says, it's time to sacrifice. The thankfulness has worked its way all the way through my emotions, and I'm going to give, 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 give. I'm going to be a living sacrifice, says Paul in the New Testament. Here's the deal, though. David Jordan helped me understand this point earlier this week. Thank you very much, David. There's also a way that we can give a dead sacrifice to God. Now, what is a dead sacrifice? A dead sacrifice is when we give ourselves to another person, but we stop, true, we stop short of true grace. What do I mean? Okay, I'm going I'm, I'm to keep going. When we give to a person and there is an obligation to give, it's not true grace. It's good. Do it. Love your family. Love those you're obligated to love. Give to those you're obligated to give to. You know, set up the trust fund for your kids. My goodness, that's the least you can do, mom and dad. (laughs) Wish I had one. (laughs) But we often give, we often find it easy to give when there's an obligation for us to give, right? This friendship has been forged over 25 years. I feel obligated to give to my friend, you know, or to our employer, right, who said, I'm going to give you... Not enough money a year, but some money a year. So you work here and do your job. So then also we give to people who are deserving, right? They helped us move. Now I'll begrudgingly help them move. Right? Um, we, they gave me, did me a favor. I'll do them a favor back. You know, we make sure the kids who work hard in school are rewarded for their hard work. We give them good grades. This is the pattern of most of life. You're all used to it, right? You give to people who are deserving around you. You're like, you're nice. I'll be nice back. Okay, here we go. You ready for this? Buckle up. 
A living sacrifice is something more along the lines of loving your enemies. Jesus brought this up. Darn it all. He said, You've heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he's basically just looping around. He's saying it's time to love your enemies. This is what we would refer to, I think what Paul is talking about when he says a living sacrifice. It's giving when there's not an obligation to give. And it's giving to people who are undeserving. Woo! Oh, man. Who are the people that you feel have hurt you the most? Think about it. Who's hurt you the most in life? Is it your parents when you were a kid? Is it the people who voted against you and your candidate in the last election? Is it the Commonwealth of Virginia? Is it the neighbor who has the ugly yard and the scrap cars? Is it the group that excludes you? Have you been abused or snubbed by someone? Is there a person who ignores or insults you? A living sacrifice goes to them. This is no small thing, y'all. We are to give our attention, our ear, our time, our money, our strength, and yes, even our affection to those that are our enemies or that we consider our enemies. Grace at work. Whoa. This is what God did for us, y'all. This is the whole point of the gospel, that when we were sinners, or in other words, when we were enemies of God, he came and he died for us. Grace. It's grace. Now, think for yourself, who do you view as an enemy? Who irks you the most right now in your life? Maybe it's an in-law, a sibling, a boss, an institution, an ex, a former friend. Can you even imagine giving to them? I mean, really. Can you, even in your imagination, can you imagine not punching them and then praying for them and loving on them? The story of Jonah is a tale of going to the person who has hurt you and giving of yourself. Y'all, that's... Jonah knew Nineveh was a great power that would probably crush his people, his tribe. And God's like, go to them. And he's like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not going to them. Here, this is Jonah's response, y'all. He says to God, I would rather die then go to those people. I'd rather die. Just kill me. And God says, oh yeah? I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to give you, just even for the briefest of moments, a taste of my grace. You're going to taste it, Jonah. And guess what? You're going to want to go. You're going to have the desire to go. It'll be weak at the beginning. You're just starting to understand grace. But you're going to go. Now, don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. Okay, y'all? Hold up. You can only do this after a profound experience of the grace of God. If you try to do this, if you try to love your enemies out of your gut power, your strength, the fact that you're a good, nice person, it will fail. Because it requires an incredible work of God. 
a transformation in the heart, in fact. There are places in my life that start with the letter L. I won't go into them. There's more than one of them. And I have to go. I know I do. I may not, may not be tomorrow. may not be next week. But I have to go back. And I've got to repair some of the bridges that I personally burn to the ground. God, I feel it from the story of Jonah calling me. And it may be true for y'all too. Where, where do you know in your heart when you're honest, you got to go back? Okay, let's conclude with our final point. When grace moves into a person's life, there is a profound experience of thankfulness. There is a, there's a response that follows up on thankfulness, and that is sacrifice. We give. We give. You can't help it. You're thankful. You give. And then he says, finally, he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Y'all, this is a big deal coming out of the mouth of Jonah. He would not have said this if God had not thrown him into the water and swallowed him with the fish. It would not have come out of his mouth. You want to know why? Because Jonah believed that salvation came from himself. That's what he believed. He believed, I can create salvation. We saw it in the first chapter. He's like, I was born into the right family. I've got the right pedigree. I've got the right amount of knowledge. I went to school for this. I'm a prophet of God. I'm good to go. And God's like, let me send you to the land of idle destruction. Nineveh. And he's like, nope, I'm done. (laughs) Y'all, sometimes we have to go to the realm of idle destruction. I hear it said all the time in casual conversation. Don't say something like, I'll never live in Minnesota. (laughs) Right? You laugh. You laugh. That's a, that's a, a knowledgeable laugh. Because you know, if I say that, I'll probably end up living in Minnesota. Why? Because God's a mean and vindictive God and He just likes to cause you a lot of trouble? No, absolutely not. God, it was not just being vindictive with Jonah and saying, you need to go to Nineveh. He's saying, Jonah, I want you. And I want these people in Nineveh because I love them and I love you. And you're getting in your own way. I've got to crush this idol in your heart. You think you understand salvation. You think you've got it figured out. You think you've got your life all solved. And I've got to crush you so that you see this, y'all. It's the greatest act of love that we can ever experience to have to go to the land of idol destruction. How do you know what your idol is? How do you know what this land is for you? Well, ask yourself this question. Because you're going to see it in chapter 3 and 4. Well, mostly 4 of Jonah. Where he's going to say, he's a human being, y'all. He's going to say, just take me, God. That's what he says. Just kill me now. Just let me die. That's how you know 
You're entering the land of idle destruction. What is the thing in your life that you say, if that was taken away from me, I would rather die? There it is. That's it. Right there. If that thing, that reputation, that issue, that amount of money was stripped from me, I would probably rather die. We'll say probably. But this is the land that Jonah is sent to. And God knows it's going to be horribly wonderful for him to go there. And the beauty is this, y'all. Jonah finally gets the grace of God. And God's like, okay, I think he gets it. Fish, spit him out. And then he tumbles out of the fish onto dry land. And then what does God say to him? Man, you did some great thinking there in that belly. You get this now, don't you? You understand grace? And I'm sure Jonah was like, yeah, totally. God, you're amazing. Salvation's of the Lord. I can't fix myself, blah, blah, blah. This is great. You know, and what God say to him? Yeah, cool. You get it. Go about your way. Go have fun. Go, go binge watch some Netflix, buddy. What, is he, what does God say to him? All right. You're starting to get it, aren't you? Grace. Let's go back to Nineveh. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's test it, God's saying. Let's see. Are you getting grace Is that thankfulness welling up in your heart? Are you ready to sacrifice yourself? Is it time for utter dependence on me? Y'all, I'll conclude with this. If you want spiritual breakthrough in your life, if you want to move to the next level, if you want to get over whatever your particular hang-up is, whatever your particular issue is with somebody, whatever that anger core is inside of you, I don't know what it is for each individual in this room but I know this much. Grace is the only way we make progress, that we have spiritual breakthroughs. Grace is most fully pictured through what Christ did. It's the ultimate picture, ultimate reality of The unobligated giver, that is God, giving to those that are undeserving the greatest possible gift. It's just awesome when you get it. And sometimes the Holy Spirit just opens like a portal in our lives and we just get it. You may have had it sometime recently or sometime in your life. But the the glory of the grace poured out for us on the cross of Jesus Christ just gets real. And it begins this work of change. And here's what happens to a human being when this is occurring. There is the combination, the impossible combination, of humility and confidence. If you're self-righteous, if you don't think salvation is of the Lord, if you think you're going to figure out your own life, you will not have the combination of humility and confidence. Either you will be confident because you have been fairly successful 
hey, you know what? You kind of got your life figured out. You got most of the stuff you wanted. You ended up like being marginally successful at your job. You got, you know, a family that you thought you wanted at some point. Now you're not sure, but you thought you wanted it at some point. And so you're like, yeah, I got this figured out, right? And so you're confident, but there's no humility. You know, you don't, you, the, the grace of God just simply cannot break through. Or you may have had the opposite experience. There was just an absolute failure at all of your dreams. You had all these things planned out for your life, and it was just one failure after another. And it was like, I'm pathetic. I'm worthless. I have nothing. I, I don't deserve anything. This is, this is ridiculous. And so you have humility or humiliation, but there's no confidence. You don't really believe you're worth what you have, even the small things in your life. The grace of God changes all that. What we get with the grace of God, y'all, is when, when, when we understand, when we believe that salvation is of God alone, there is a humility of, I didn't do it. This is just a gift. Oh, my gracious, this is amazing. And confidence. Yeah, I fail over and over. I failed this week. I'm about to confess on this board behind me that I sinned multiple times this week. I failed. But, wow, I'm so stinking loved. I have a God who just will not give up on me. His grace keeps coming after me. And I am full of the confidence of His love. I don't need, I don't need other people around me to tell me I'm awesome and that I'm going to be the most successful thing in the world. I just don't need it. Whatever. Take it or leave it. I have the confidence of knowing God loves me as He proved it to me through the life and death of Jesus Christ. I know that was a lot. But grace, y'all, grace is at the heart of the Bible, of God's redemption of his people, of Jesus Christ, his message, his life. May you be filled to overflowing with that grace this week. Let's pray. Lord God, I do not deserve, we do not deserve your goodness or your attention. And yet, and yet, you rescue us from the pit. You pull us out of our despair. You keep coming after us. You won't let our idols get in the way. Lord, I pray this morning for anyone in here who needs a fresh experience of your grace, that you would bring it, that you would give it, Lord. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has experienced your grace, who remembers the joy and the the pleasure that an unobligated God has given favor to us undeserving people, Lord. I pray that that joy would bubble up into thanksgiving, a living sacrifice, Lord, and the destruction of idols. Lord, we want to, most of all, honor the grace that you have shown us 
through the death and resurrection of your very own son. The one you are closest to in this universe. Lord, may that freshly impact us this morning. And it's in his name that we pray all of this. Amen.